You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 215, covering Waltz and Who Mourns for Morn. Hello, friends. We're back. Hey! I don't know why I say that every single week like it's a surprise. Hey, guess who's back? It's us. Well, you know, some podcasts here... don't come out every week. We've been here every week consistently for, I don't know, almost five years? Yeah. So I think it's safe to say we're back again. Yep. You can pretty much count on that. Now next week will be late. Yeah. Because that, you know, <laughs> that's how that goes. And then Matt died that week. Oh, that's not going to stop us. Mm-hmm. Here's... We've already got a... Here's a flonk. I've got a contingency plan. I've, l- listen. The only thing that's going to stop this is if we both die, and even then, eh, maybe not. <laughs> There's a system set up that, Ma- that Amanda just needs to turn on that a lot of, that'll play random, uh, random yeah. quotes from other episodes, making it sound like we're talking about new episodes. Yeah, I think over you know over 200 episodes of this, we probably have every combination of things we're going to say. I really liked this episode. Yep. In fact, this week we're going to say Gul Dukat was great and Quark was fun, yep. which is something we've said lots. So there you go. Never heard that before. Nope. So Matt, why don't you tell us about Waltz? Waltzing Matilda? Val- oh, that's why you put Waltzing Matilda in your notes. I'd like, what? What? Why is this here? What are you talking about? <laughs> I get it now. All right. So Captain Sisko is on board the USS Honshu delivering Gul Dukat to prison. After some brief words of comfort about being sorry about Ducat's dead daughter, Sisko bails because Ducat is not fun to talk to when he isn't a raving lunatic. Unfortunately, the Honshu is then attacked by Cardassian fighters because we can never just go somewhere, can we? That was going to be a big goddamn to-do. Anyway, Ben regains consciousness in a shitty cave on planet Hell where Ducat is making soup and fixing Ben's busted arm. It seems, Benjamin, Ducat says as he swats madly at the tiny magic pixies that blast foghorns in his ears every time he tries to concentrate, that we have been stranded. Fortunately, that will give us plenty of time to catch up. Major. Sadly, Ben isn't really interested in catching up, nor in listening to Ducat's lengthy, bullet-pointed list about how he isn't history's greatest monster. While Ducat is off hunting for condiments on the planet's surface, Ben checks the comm unit and discovers that Ducat never actually turned it on. It appears that Gull Ducat found himself with the perfect chance to escape his Federation captors and used it to go on a camping trip with his arch-nemesis so that they could play Getting to Know You. When Ducat returns and finds the comm unit rummaged in, he starts listening to the angrier brain voices and wails on Sisko for a pipe for the majority of the commercial break. Then Ducat starts ranting about the people of Bajor, how he gave them every chance, and they just wouldn't listen. He held out a shackle of friendship, and they slapped it back in his face. <laughs> he gave them good jobs, unburdened by monetary woes, mostly because they weren't actually being paid for them, and they blew up his house. He tried to explain that next to the handsome, intelligent Cardassians, the slow-witted, dirt-grubbing Bajoran just couldn't hold up, but out of pure... Charity, the Cardassians were willing to lend a helping hand, pull them out of the mud, dust them off, and get them to work cleaning Cardassian toilets. And they just wouldn't listen. They fought, and they argued, and they couldn't take a simple order, and they murdered my misery! (laughs) And then there's a small snapping sound, and Gul Dukat finally realizes, I hate Bajor. 
I hate Bajorans. And I'm going to kill every single one of them. And then he escapes in the perfectly working shuttlecraft, radios the Defiant to let them know what carefully picked planet he's left Cisco on, and flies away with all the voices screaming in his head for company. <laughs> so I gotta say, Tiny Magic Pixies blasting foghorns every time you try to concentrate. I, I didn't realize you suffered from ADD as I did. <laughs> no, I've just been friends with you for a long time. Okay, because that is basically what it's like. <laughs> and the Adderall kind of makes the uh, Pixies go away for a bit, but uh, they're always there. Uh, yeah. This episode was the best. It was, and it's interesting to read uh, uh, René Aubergenois uh, directed it, and he said, I had such a hard time because it's just two guys in a room, and how do you make that interesting? Well, you know how you do that? By putting Mark Alimo and Avery Brooks in a room. To get, yep. Like, those are the two guys. Yeah, these two guys are fantastic. Just utterly, but, utterly fantastic. I appreciate, Renee, that you want to make it visually interesting, but just point the camera at them and let them go, because yeah. they're great. Let, you know what? You could, like, anything other than these two guys in a cave is just going to be distracting. Yeah. Just let them Just let them work. Yep. And they just, they do. The thing is, this late in the series, you wouldn't expect them to get a great episode out of, oh, here's Ducat and Cisco alone together. Mm -hmm. Like, we've done this thing before. Yep. But somehow, again, they found a new angle, they've done a new thing with it, and it's it sort of feels fresh and interesting all over yep. again. Which is cool. No, it's just, like, you put anyone in a room with Ducat, yeah. and I'm going to want to, I'm, I'm going to want to watch what happens. But particularly these. Oh, God, Yes. Because I don't think, like, Ducat's got this thing you, you mentioned in your summary, that he's he wants his respect so bad. Mm -hmm. He wants him to say, yeah, what you did made sense, and what you, you know, you did what you had to do, and you're, you're a good person. And I don't think he wants that from anyone else. I think Cisco may be the only person that he wants to see him as an equal. He, he's got that thing with Kira, but that's not an equal thing. No, she's still a Bajoran, yeah. and we, 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 he's made it very clear how he feels about them. Oh, now. God. As if there were any question before, but now it's been made crystal clear. Yeah. It's... But Cisco, he sees as like, yeah, you and I, we're, we're not so different, you and I. And Cisco's just like, no, we pretty much are completely different, You're you and I. Incredibly different, you and I. In another reality, Cisco, I think you and I could have been, nope, nope. friends, Although coworkers. We did, we did mention in the work, work proximity associates <laughs> is what Ron Swanson calls his... <laughs> But we did have our whole little riff on the, the Mirror Universe and what Mirror Ducat was like. So maybe in that universe he could call him <laughs> But only that. Mirror Ducat is the nicest, most outgoing. He's yeah. perfectly in tune with the with the emotions of everybody around him. Yep. He's like, uh, what, who's uh, Kai Opaka? Yeah. I was trying to think, like, what a, what a Bajoran Kai should be. Oh, right, the first one, who was nice. Her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to get the feeling that might you might not like me very much. I wonder that really troubles me. Mm. The thing is, that's exactly what this one is like. Yep. I get the feeling you don't like me very much. Why is that? We we talked about this during the episode. Ducat has this thing, it's almost the complete opposite of what have you done for me lately? Where it's like, yes, I've murdered millions of people, and I'm a horrible tyrant, but... And most recently, I just took your station and tried to conquer the planet that you yourself see as... as the planet that you're trying to protect. And I personally have tried to kill you numerous times. And many of your friends. Yes. But I just brought you that pillow. <laughs> so we're good, right? Yeah, right? 
It's a really nice pillow. I mean, not as nice as the one I have, but, you know, you you stupid humans would never appreciate the contours of a Cardassian anus. <laughs> the thing is... Oh, why'd you have to say Cardassian anus? <laughs> that My brain just, like, everything, every point I was gearing up to make is gone now, and I'm like, so is it ridgy? Is... There's a picture, right? Maybe that's what their spoon is. No, no. Their butt has, like, a fork. Oh, of course. <laughs> that makes total it's sense. It's just the Cardassian tailbone ends in four sharp spikes. Yeah, that makes That you sense. can break off to pick a lock with. <laughs> it's, it's handy because then they can be their own pooper scooper. That's true! <laughs> they can squat down and poop and then just scoop it up with their tail. It's fork. just like, okay, I just gotta bend and flip. Yep. There we go, right into the bag. Yep. I, you you can see why they think they're superior. Well, that and um, the fact that they have that that handy uh, sanity indicator in their hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If a Car- we get that in this episode again if, too, if, where he completely becomes unhinged and his hair goes nuts. Yeah, again. no. If a Cardassian's perfectly coiffed hair, uh, or is it quaffed? Quaffed. If the perfectly quaffed hair becomes unraveled. You know that they're mentally uh, there's some yeah. some problems going on upstairs. Well, we've seen it with him, and we've seen it with Garrick. Yep. I'm pretty sure it's a common Cardassian trait. Oh, yeah. Because the, that's the interesting thing to me is whatever overlap there is between Garrick and Gul Dukat is probably what most Cardassians are like because those two are so different mm-hmm. that anything they have in common is probably just a general Cardassian thing. Yep. And it's really interesting because there are similarities. Like, the, the total roundabout way he has of doing everything. Yeah. I just, I feel like every Cardassian is that, like duplicitous and that's like circuitous that's the word i was looking for just they can't go from point a to point b they gotta they gotta wander around the map like billy in a fil- in a family circus comic. it takes you like it takes them like three days just to go pick up a thing of milk right well who do i need to trick to get the milk it's like every action for them is the babelfish puzzle from uh, the hitchhiker's text game oh man <laughs> on the plus side those guys could probably beat that game pretty quick yeah probably and uh, yep. and the other Douglas Adams game, Bureaucracy, in which the entire goal was to get the post office to acknowledge your change of address. Oh God, that was such a good idea for a video game. Yeah, it was. But it feels very Cardassian. Oh, it totally does. He, but, like, seriously, his, like... Okay, my bad thing was, it is a bit predictable that the comm system and the shuttle were fine. Mm. I've seen that story before. I was hoping for some variation on, you're captured, but actually everything is not as bad as I said it was. But on the other hand, I can't imagine Dukat doing it any other way. Oh, of course not. It's like it, I said this in my summary. It, but like it's so Dukat to take the, the this incredible fortuitous chance to escape. Yeah, he could have just left Cisco for dead and and bailed. Yeah, but he just couldn't do it. He's nope. gotta he's gotta take his he's gotta haul his body into a shuttle, escape, and then find a planet that is awful. But not awful enough to actually kill anyone. Right. With a cave so that they can just camp and be, and just hang out and be friends. Yep. Because all but, he needs to do, like, whatever it takes, you just need to tell me that I'm good. Then I can he kill really you. needs that. Then I can kill you and get on with my life. It's, it's interesting, too, that we, we get a peek into his mind, like, like, he, he is seeing visions of Kira and of Weyun and of uh, uh, Damar. It's Damar, yeah. And Damar, like, crazy head Damar, not real Damar, makes a point of saying, like, he's the emissary. If you drag his dead body back to the Bajorans, they have to respect you. Yeah. 
Like, and that's not what real Damar thinks, but somewhere in his mind, that's what Ducat thinks. And it's like, wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. I never saw it that way. I always saw it as we're equals and we've been against each other before, but we're equals. But yeah, the, the fact that he's the emissary adds a whole layer of, because he does hate the Bajorans and their whole stupid religion. Yes. And so if he manages to kill the, you know, the Jesus of their religion. I mean, logically, if you kill the de- the Jesus of a religion, that makes you the Jesus. Yeah, that's why Christians uh, uh, worship Pontius Pilate. Yeah, exactly. And because, <laughs> you know. And, that, and then the Bajoran people will welcome him with open arms. Uh-huh. And finally, he can get down to the important business of destroying this planet. Well, he's, there's a great, like, you wanted to to make your quote about 20 minutes long. That's the thing, man. He rants for, like, 20 minutes, and it is all fascinating. Well, it's a really good progression from, of course I love the Bajoran people. You can't prove that I don't. And it ends with, I want to kill all of them. And it's such a, gra- like, it doesn't feel forced. No. It feels like a very, like, obvious evolution from one to the other. Yeah. It's like all of the all of the the lies that he tells himself just start falling down. Yep. And it's just it like it's, shocking no one Ducat is my good thing for this episode. Really? He like like I I've, I've come up with I've talked about this a lot. And I've made my, a lot of, of a lot of quotes over uh DS9 him talking about himself. Well, he may be, you mentioned this, I think on Twitter when you were watching the episode. Yep. He may be the single most fascinating character in all of Star Trek. Period. Duh, just bottom line, I... There have been better characters or, or more likable mm-hmm. characters, but as far as complexity, as far as what's going on in his head and always keeps you guessing and, yep. and all that, like, because all the guys I like are pretty straightforward. No, like, but like... Guys like Bones or Cisco, you know where you stand with them. Yeah. But him, you're never quite sure. Ducat will turn on a dime if it helps if it helps him get... Like, and that itself feels very Cardassian, yep. but it feels like he's more Cardassian than a typical Cardassian. Like, it feels like he even betrayed them, which must be really hard to do. Yeah, no, but it's not even that he turned, like, it's not even that he just turns on a dime. It's that as soon as he does, he starts telling himself that turn, that doing that was the right thing to do. And that it was yeah. always his intention. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Cisco, so uh, there's a point in this episode where Cisco's just like, you... What, what do you know about the truth? You just bend it to whatever suits your purpose. And Ducat's like, oh, that's what you would say. You've always been against me. <laughs> yeah! And the thing is, it is really fascinating, and it is a bit alien, but on the other hand, I think we've all probably known people like that. Oh, yeah. Maybe not to this extent. Maybe not space Hitlers. No, probably not. I don't think I know that many space Hitlers. No, one or two, you know, that you went to school with, but you know, who who keeps in touch with them? Really? Yeah, I don't. I try. I actively try not to keep in touch with the space Hitlers I went to high school with. Yeah, you get the friend request, and you're just like eh, ignore. I think, so, I think. Yeah, but I, I you know, liars mm-hmm. like dishonest people. You, we've all known people like of this type. Yes, this this pathological like. No, I'm a good person, and every, like, my entire past reflects that yep. now because I thought of a way to make it all fit. There, like, Ducat is a perfect example of the hero of your own story thing. Yep. Where he's just like, look at all the things I've done to try and make the, make Bejor, excuse me, Bejor a better place for the Bejoran people. He, it, it, you're definitely right that it is the hero of his own story thing. 
And that's what makes a good villain to me. Yeah. And I've said this before. I don't think Star Trek has a lot of good villains. No, not really. Like, and and that's been one of the things I think that hasn't worked about a lot of the movies is like, there's there's been a couple, mm-hmm. but for the most part, like, like Khan was good, and then you had like uh uh, uh he was pretty good, mm-hmm. and then the whale probe isn't really a villain. No. And then five, the less said, the better. Six was more Federation guys than anything. Yeah, I mean, I liked Gorkin, but... Uh, yeah, but he wasn't a villain. No. He was a friend. That's the thing. Like, you, there's not a lot of... And in the, in the next-gen movies, I guess the Borg Queen was all right. Eh. But, like, that's it. Like, there's no... Even in the decent movies, there aren't good villains. No. Like, it's just not a thing Star Trek has usually done very well, with a couple of exceptions. And Dukat is great, and it's because he's sort of sympathetic from time to time. Yeah, but even then, that's, like, even when he's sympathetic, it's all about him, you know? But I, like, I said this at the end of the, the six-episode arc. I felt bad for him mm-hmm. when his daughter died. I legitimately felt like he was sympathetic for a minute, and I was like, wait, why do I feel like that? I know better. Yeah, no. Like, even when he's even when he's on your side, like, it's, he's not doing it to help you out. No, but I still felt bad. Like, oh, man, this guy lost everything. Yeah. And he, he was on top of the world five minutes ago, and now it's all gone. Oh, God. Fucking posturing Ducat in those episodes. Just wonderful. Yep. But then, like, even at the beginning of this episode, they do a nice check-in to remind us where he is now. Yeah. Where Cisco comes to visit him in his cell, and it's like, oh, right, he lost his daughter. I feel bad about him. He seems to be getting better. That's good. Maybe he's going to be okay. Nope. And I, like, I, I love him, like, the dignity he tries to see Cisco with when he when he comes in. Yep. It's like when we walk in, he's he's almost meditating, yep. right? But like, if I had to guess, I would say that the jailer was all like, "By the way, Captain Cisco's coming down to visit you in about twenty minutes," and he's just like, "Oh, really? I what 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 pose would be the most would be the coolest to be discovered in?" Well, that's one of my favorite lines from Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Was uh, what's the most nonchalant pose to be discovered in when Ford gets to the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> that's very much how he. It's gets. like if I if I if I sit on the floor and look repentant. Yeah. Yes. He's he's the emissary. He's really getting into this whole spiritual thing. So maybe if I look like I'm. Uh... This is a good start. Yeah. This is how we begin, and then <laughs> I can, and then I can start working on one of the numerous speeches that I've written. And and this ends with me beating him up with a pipe mm-hmm. and stealing his car. <laughs> Which is pretty much what happened. Yeah, basically, yes. I uh, Yeah, no, he's fascinating. Yeah. The the part where he goes out into the like to go get some salt or whatever the fuck he goes to do. And he comes back and he sits down at the fire with after he's after he's rewarded Ben with a pillow. Uh-huh. And he sits down and he, he just sort of rolls into his, I wonder what the people of Bejor would think, seeing the two of us sitting around the fire like old friends. Yep. And Cisco has to correct him a bunch of <sighs> yeah. times. We're not friends. Yeah. It's just, no, but don't you see, Benjamin, we <laughs> are friends. See, I love Avery Brooks. Like, I mean, th- he does a great job, but also a lot of this is in the script. Yeah. he He's got this great, like... At first, he's sort of handling him. Yeah. Like, telling him what he needs to hear, maybe, like, trying to be sort of pretending to be objective. Like, well, we're going to have a trial, and we'll see what you're guilty of. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to pass any judgment just yet. Yeah. And eventually, as he realizes that's not doing any good, he just kind of lets the real Cisco out. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, because 
he corrects him on the friend thing, and then eventually he stops. Yeah. Let's get, He's like, you, that's not doing me any it's good. It's like, I you know just... you know what? Fine. Yeah. yeah no, I, sure. It's like the, the whole, I'm, I'm sure you had your reasons for all the stuff you did. And yeah, you... he doesn't believe that. No. But he's like, that's the, it, under the circumstances, that is the best thing to say right now. Yeah. It's like, what, I like that. what's going to get me not wailed on with a pipe? And at one point when, when Ducat's off, like, chatting with his crazy Herman's head, you know, cavalcade of people. <laughs> they actually the working title for this was Ducat's head, so that's not my joke. That's the producer's joke. That's pretty good. <laughs> yep. But um he uh Cisco discovers that, oh, the 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 front screen says that the communicator device is on, but uh the 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 other little panel says it's not on. Yeah. So this guy's lying to me. But he does this great thing where Ducat comes back. He's like, uh you wanna check that? I think it might not be working. Oh no, it's working. Okay, that's what I needed to hear. Mm, all right, so, like, yeah. Cisco's, like, getting a read on the situation, but he's still totally in control of, yeah. like, like he's so good at that. And really, my good thing is uh, there's top-notch acting in this all around. Like, these two, obviously, but, I mean, that's, you know, we've said that over and over again. Yeah. These two are, like, the best guys on the show. But also from Kira and Wayun, and to a lesser extent, Damar, but he's not as much in uh, Dukat's head as the other two. Mm-hmm. They get to be completely let off their leashes and allowed to go just kind of nuts. Yes. Like, and the, and they do this without the episode turning into comedy. It's just, like, Kira's got this great sort of, like, impish prancing around and taunting him. Like, uh, you don't really think that, do you? You know, like, over here and over here. Like, a bit yep. of a Peter Pan kind of, like, it's, I love it. Mm-hmm. And, and Wayun, same deal. He just gets to, like, scream oh, and, man. and giggle and, like, do all kinds of, like, Wayun stuff that he doesn't normally get to do. You want to let Jeffrey Coombs just go nuts, like, good lord. And the thing is, it fits, mm-hmm. and it's not stupid, and it doesn't turn, like I say, it doesn't undermine the, the, the series. No, and it could, like, they want, like, yeah. that could easily have gotten ridiculous. Yeah. No, and when I was watching this, I men- mentioned that to Amanda, and she's like, you know, I always remembered Nana Visitor being pretty good, but this pass through, I just, I know, she's like one of the best people on this show. Yep. Like, she had maybe five minutes in this episode, but she totally just nailed, like, being crazy, like, inside Gul Dukat's not actually Kira Kira. Yep. Like, that's hard to do, mm-hmm. and she, she completely got that. I also, when we talked about this a little bit during the episode, I don't think this is the only version of Kira rattling around in Dukat's brain. I just think it's the current version of Kira. Yeah, I think right now we need to see that everyone's against yeah. it. Yeah. Because that's how he feels. Yeah, oh, no, Definitely. Like it's it serves the story to show that Ducat right now feels like even the voices in his head are just like trying to keep him down. You're against and nobody's on his side. You're against me. All skeletons are against me. <laughs> it's it's just it's so like even and and I going back to the Mark. I think I'm pretty sure it's Alimo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Alimo, the guy who plays Gold Ducat, just yeah. like early in the episode when he's in his cage and he's. Doing this sort of low-key, like, I've just, I've been beaten down, man. I don't, like, you know, hello, Benjamin. Like, I, you don't, you've never seen him so low energy before. Yeah, well, because... And it's great. Well, because as far as he knows, he's just done. Yeah. Like, he's going to be tried for war crimes. I don't think the Federation executes their, uh... I don't think so, no. Their, anyone, unless you go to that planet from the cage. But, uh... <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, he's he's done. Like... 
all these grandiose plans to rule the Alpha Quadrant, take over the Gamma Quadrant and everything. Just, it's just, it's over. And then suddenly it's not over. But, you know, before we get on with the plans and anything, what's this guy think about me? Yeah, it's very important to me that that Cisco respects me before I, I move on to the next stage. And the interesting thing is, and I don't want to tip, like, we know sort of broad strokes, like, we may not remember specifics, but broad strokes, we know what happens next. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to mention that to for any of you who are, you know, watching along for the first time, but this is a turning point for him. Oh, yeah. Like, there is no mistake now that he's just straight up evil. He is no longer sympathetic. No. He's just, he's just bad. It's like, it's no, it's, it's not about controlling Bajor or anything. No, now it's kind it's, of personal, you know, it, to, to borrow a terribly cliched phrase. Yeah, no, it's like, oh, like, it's just like, you took everything from me. Yep. You're done. You're, you're done. Well, and it's, it. he's got, a, I mean, uh, Cisco's got a little speech with Dax at the end. It's like, you know, gray area, you know, that's how things are. Not everything's truly good or truly evil. <laughs> Then you spend a little time with that nut bar. Oh, man. Well, some people are just, just evil. <laughs> just evil. Yep. Which is nice because, and apparently the, the guy behind the scenes, they were a little disturbed, the, the producers, that like so many of the fans were on his side. Like, no, no, he genocides, but he has a good reason. It's, well, it's like it's them taking him serious, like taking him at face value when he's like, I did yeah. it. I was trying to help the Bajoran people. You don't help anyone by killing them. Right. That's a weird way to help people. But he's got, like, when he launches into that whole rant, he's got his justification. Oh, yeah. He thinks he, he thinks it's totally justified. Yep. And that's what makes it fascinating. But it's it's just, it's nice for the writers to, to say, no, no, he's always meant to be a bad guy. We might have done this gray area thing a little too hard. So here's the real deal. Yeah. He's evil. Yeah. He just specifically said the words, Bajor is dead. Like, he wants to destroy everyone on the planet. I, I should have, it's like I always said, I sh it would have been much easier to just kill all of them. Yep, and now I'm going to do that. But my bathroom needed to be cleaned, and I'm not going to do that. And you've met my wife, she's not going to do it. And maids are very <laughs> expensive. And I'd like my sons to do it, but it's always somebody's birthday, oh, and they're always just at that amusement Back center. to the amusement center, hmm? Fine. It's like they, it's like they live there. At gully I've Jesus. never met any... I've never met any Cardassians more amused than my family. Good lord. <laughs> so, uh, what was your bad thing? What was my bad thing? Uh... Could have done without Bashir's snippiness when uh, Worf tells him that they're not staying to look for Cisco. Look, man, I get that we all like Captain Sisko a lot, but you you guys have a job to do. Don't be a dick about it. Well, he pulls that trick that we've seen on uh, the original series on Next Gen. Oh, well, uh, our orders were kind of garbled, didn't understand, mm -hmm. better just go do what we want. Yep. And Worf's like, no. No. She made it clear before we left, and we made out enough of what she said that we're pretty clear that she didn't go back on that. Yeah. Like, this is what we're doing. And the, Sorry. The thing is, the Defiant's got a very important job to do too. Yeah, they got to go rescue five thousand guys or whatever. Yeah. Like I don't remember what it That's, was, but it was something important. Yeah, they got to escort like five thousand guys out of uh, the Badlands. Or yeah, something. see, they saw Badlands, and I, my brain just went. Ugh. Yeah, but yeah, but it's like no, look, Julian, I get your point. 
I do. But 5,000 people. I think someone in Star Trek might have said something about, you know, needs of the many. Yeah, I think that it, may be it might have come thing. up once or twice. Right. I do like him turning to uh, O'Brien and going, what did you hear, Chief? And he's like, uh, whatever. Nothing. No, no, he totally goes with, with Juliet. Yeah, he's just, like, I nope, didn't, didn't, didn't hear anything. Nope. Look, I've served on the Enterprise. I know how this works. Yeah. But it was it was nice to see the show acknowledge that that's how some Starfleet guys do it, but not all Starfleet yeah. guys do it. That Like, some of them actually follow the rules, mm-hmm. and if you leave Worf in charge, he's probably going to follow the rules. <coughs> it's, it, it's something we know about Worf. Yeah. It's not honorable to pretend you didn't hear something. <laughs> and then, but then Julius is like, well, I don't care about your honor. Eh. Well, what do you, do you care about the 5,000 people who, who are going to definitely die if we don't save them? Well, I don't know them personally, and I haven't had dinner at their house. <laughs> all right, you got anything else? Um, Honestly, I could go on about this episode all fucking day. Yeah, me too. But it, in essence, it's two guys in a room. Yep. And it's fantastic. I love it. So, I, I fucking love yeah. this fucking episode. Well, let's hear let's hear what small portion of a quote you decided to pick from those from those grandiose speeches. Yeah, I think I finally found something that wasn't uh, that didn't go on too long. And you hated them for it. Of course, I hated them. I hated everything about them. Their superstitions and their cries for sympathy, their treachery and their lies. Their smug superiority and their stiff-necked obstinacy. Their earrings and their broken, wrinkled noses. You should have killed them all. Hmm? Yes! Yes! That's right, isn't it? I knew it! I've always known it! I should have killed every last one of them. I mean, any part of that, you know, would have been great. I agree, it would have been very difficult to pick. Mm. Oh. So, it's I'm watching the episode. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is definitely my quote. Wow, he's still yeah. talking. Yep. Okay, this could be a very long. Wow, you're still talking, huh? I'm pretty sure there's one act, like out of the five acts. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there's one where he just speeches. I think like Act Four is nothing but speeches from him. Yep. We might have a quick cut about, cut back to the Defiant, but then it's back to speeching. Yeah, Al's gonna be really mad if my quote's ten minutes long. No, see, I don't. It's not really that much more work for me. Yeah. I just don't think it's that interesting for the listeners to hear us talk for 20 minutes and then hear the show talk. Oh, no, no. It slams the brakes on the episode. Like, uh, right. That's why I like to keep our quotes short. It's not It's not like really any more work for it's me. It's like, so you guys get it. You can just watch the episode. Yeah, we just want to give them a taste so they could either remember it or, or be spurned to go see mm-hmm. it, you know. But uh, in any event, yeah, yeah. fantastic. No, I think this episode. is everything. I didn't actually take that many notes on this because I was just watching it. Yep. Same here. Yeah. All right. Time to move on now to Who Mourns, not for Adonais, but for Morn. Remember Morn, that wrinkly brown dude in the puffy vest who's always hanging out at Quark's? No? This is an audio show, you say? And an entirely visual character who never speaks on camera probably doesn't come up a lot in this entirely audio show. Well, you make a fair point, imaginary listener. Okay then, let me explain Morn to you. He was this wrinkly brown dude in a puffy vest who always hung out at Quark's. Now apparently he's dead, and Quark is the beneficiary of his will. This works out about as well as you'd imagine, with there being no actual money or property of value, and then, of course, a bunch of people threatening to kill and or kiss Quark if they don't get the money that doesn't exist. Eventually, they all sort of cancel one another out like some kind of murderous algebra equation, and Quark is back to where he started. No longer in immediate danger of being killed or kissed, but also flat broke. Then Morn shows up and pukes up some latinum. 
this was also a good one. It was, and my summaries are usually longer, but really, again, not a ton happened. It, it was good, but that that's pretty much mm -hmm. it. Like, I guess I could have gone into more detail about the people after the money, but that's pretty much all, all there was to say. Yeah, pretty much. And it was... It, it's weird because reading behind the scenes, uh, the 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 guys making the show and also Armin Shimmerman did not care for this one. No, I liked it. I thought it was funny. Yeah, no, I thought it. I thought this was a really well done, well done. I could talk. Well done. I thought this yep. was a really well done uh, comedy episode, and I thought yeah. it was a really well done Quark episode. I agree, and it's interesting that they say well, the comedy was too broad, but they were okay a couple of weeks ago with Rom running into walls all the time. Oh no, that stuff that that broad comedy was hilarious. But this broad comedy, where you know a guy who likes money is trying to get some money, yeah, that, too broad. Too broad. The thing, and and Armin Shimmerman's big objection was, uh, we've done Greedy Quark before. That feels like season two. He's moved on, and I feel like no, he's still like this. He just won't screw his friends over anymore. That's what he's learned yeah, no, in the last six years. Like, there's definitely been a character progression for Quark from when he yeah. first showed up on the episode, like on the series. Yeah. But he's still Quark. And the thing is, if you take away the fact that, like, I, I legitimately feel like if any of his friends were in danger here, mm -hmm. if if screwing over O'Brien or Bashir or Dax or whoever, you know, would was what he would have to do to get the money, he would hesitate. Yes. But none of those guys are involved in this in any way. It's all a bunch of strangers. Yeah. He doesn't care. No, he doesn't give a shit about any of these guys, man. I don't feel like it violates any of his character growth to say he still wants money. Yes. Like, that's, you know, I it, it is interesting to me uh, when he gives a eulogy for, for uh, Morn. Mm -hmm. I can't tell if he's just doing it to come up with ways to exploit it mm -hmm. or if he's actually sad or both. I like that. I don't want to know. No, see, I, th I, can, I can easily see a Quark who is, number one, genuinely upset that Morn, a, a regular at his bar for, like, what, 10 years? Uh, yeah, before, I'm like, I'm pretty sure he was there during the occupation. Yeah, a regular at his bar is dead. He yeah. is also very, uh, very excited about the uh, possibilities for making money off of this endeavor. Yeah. He's selling, like, top-shelf liquor as, oh, you should buy this because it was Morn's favorite. Yeah. Uh, he's, he pushes the idea that we need to keep Morn's seat filled all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, he's he's trying to turn this into an advantage, but I feel like even the most grief-stricken Ferengi is going to do that. Yeah. That's just what they're about. No, this is perfectly in character for him. Yeah, and it doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him the person that we've known he is for like years now. But I also don't think that's mutually exclusive with him actually missing more. Yeah, I feel like maybe he does. Maybe he's sad that his friend is gone. Yeah, I don't know because the thing is, Morn doesn't talk. Like for like the joke, the funny joke is that he won't shut up. Uh -huh. But we never hear him talk. I like that. First of all, I think it's a funny joke that they don't overplay. Yeah. But second of all, it means that we never really get to know what. Morn is really no we have everybody else's word for it and that's it so I don't know if he was close with him because he never talks as far as we're concerned yeah no we like all we have is like tiny little like joke stuff that's been picked up over uh, on him over the years yeah and they do an excellent job of tying a bunch of those completely unrelated threads together like mm -hmm. the, the matador painting shows up again I fucking god damn it I think it was last season where he bought that it was the it, it was, was a uh, baseball auction. card episode right 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 but, Which was toward the end of last season, I believe. Yeah, and, like, that in itself was hilarious. Like, I love yeah. him fucking buying that goddamn... Having bad having bad taste and buying a velvet matador. But but then, the fact that it comes back... Yeah. 
Like, and the thing is, oh my god! On the one hand, that's great continuity, but on the other hand, it just makes it easier for them. That's one less well, prop yeah. they have to buy because they already have it. Yep. So it's on the one, yeah, like, yeah, it's it's clever, but it's also lazy, in a, you know, in a good way. Yeah. Like the laziness pays off. Oh god! And I just I love uh, I love Odo's read up. I believe that is a matador. Yep. Well, in the previous scene, it was like maybe his ass, maybe his money's tied up in assets, like uh, like art. Ooh, objet d'art. <laughs> also, objet d'art. Also, the fact that uh, Quark speaks French, apparently. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, I think he sees himself as Gomez Adams, even if he isn't. Hey, Hish, so. that's French. Right. I still don't have a. I still don't have a Quark. That's okay. Uh It's it. I think it's a lot of fun, and I think. But what I, my original point was, because we don't know much about Morn, a lot of the a lot of the complaints uh, from from the behind the scenes was, this should have been about Morn, and he was barely in it. But that to me, that's the point. Like, either you kill the joke and you just make him talk, and you have a whole episode where he's in it, mm. or you play on the fact that he's a mystery, and you make all the all the Morn stuff still happen off screen and have people reacting to him. And I like that. Yeah. Like I like it's. At one point, one of the people after his money shows up and says he was the crown prince of wherever. Yeah. And I totally believe that. That's the thing. He, he could be a prince. Yeah. I don't know. That's the thing. When you don't know anything about the character, you could, yeah. like, literally anything is possible. We're presented with five or six alternate takes on what Morn could be, and they all seem plausible because we have such so little information on Yep. Him. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was some of the complaint was... Yeah, but this is this dude's character, and he's not even in it. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's, I guess, fair. But, I mean, Although, if you have him on screen too much, like, if and have characters talking to him and interacting with him, like, that's the character gone. Like, yeah. I almost... No, th the whole thing is that he's a mystery. Yeah, I almost think that there's too much of Morn at the end of the episode, when Quark's talking no. to him. There's one scene, and all he does is nod. Yeah, but, like, this is... <laughs> and then puke out some laughs. Yeah, but, no, my point is that the longer you have him on screen not talking, the less sense it makes that he won't doesn't shut up. Well, that's true. Because, like, honestly, the second he shows up, logically, he should be going, Quark! No, he's... I think he's sheepish. That's how they play it. Like, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And actually, I think Quark even says, just shut up and let me talk. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think they do a good job of that. And I think... This late in a series, the temptation would be, okay, we haven't fleshed this guy out yet. Maybe it's time to, to say what he's all about. And instead, they made the choice of, no, let's preserve the mystery, mm -hmm. but still give him an episode. Like, that's a smart choice, I think. Yeah. It's it's like if you suddenly saw Norm's wife on Cheers, or if you suddenly saw, who was uh, Frazier? Maris. Yeah. Like, once you do that, you can't go back. Mm -hmm. And I like that they managed to preserve that and still give us an episode about more. Yeah. And, and like I say, again, being presented with all the possibilities, like, yeah, maybe he was married to this chick. Maybe he was a prince. I I don't know. <laughs> it's it's fun. Uh, what was your good thing? Uh, I like the two uh, brother guys. Mm -hmm. They've got... So two of the guys trying to go after Morn's money are these two weird-looking uh, brothers, okay? First of all, great makeup on these guys. Yeah, they got an Emmy for yeah. it, actually. Like, some of the best alien makeup they've done. Mm -hmm. But I love I love the way they... They have this these this weird personality. Like, there's the first one who talks like Jack Nicholson. He's got a bit of that Christian Slater. Thing, and he yeah. try he he tries to be threatening, and because his face is covered by a mask, he has elaborate body language. 
Yeah, and they don't have necks because I think they were just trying to go for sort of like an exaggerated mobster, yeah, like you know, uh, caricature, and so they didn't give them necks. Yeah, but they, and he, you were saying he manages to shrug despite that. He shrugs amazingly well for someone without yeah. a neck. Like the whole point of a shrug is you move your shoulders up to the length of your neck, and there's no neck. Yep. So how do you do? And that? then his brother is like this weird, like guy who's always half a step behind whatever was happening in the conversation. Yeah, he's a little dumb. Uh, but he also he hits he hits Quark with the Matador painting, yep. and then comes back later and is like, "I just wanted to apologize for hitting you with the painting," and I think he was genuinely upset about ruining that painting. Well, the thing is, that's the next time they see him, and they use that as the pretense to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wanted to apologize. And on the one hand, they were just looking for an excuse, but on the other, yeah, it did kind of feel like it's he felt like, bad about it. I, it was a really nice painting. I just, I get upset sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's weird, because between the look of them and the caliber of their acting, which was pretty good, mm -hmm. like, they felt like demons from Angel. Yeah, they, they, as soon as you said that, it's like, yeah, they look exactly like that. Like, the similar kind of design that they had on that show, and yeah. just the, the the type of actor who was funny but also menacing. Mm -hmm. No, if you could, if you would exchange their Star Trek-looking suits for regular suits, they would have fit in on Angel perfectly. Yep. Like, they could have worked for that shark guy or whatever. Or hanging out at Lorne's or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Morn's go, Morn goes to Lorne. <laughs> that would be amazing. And they hang out with the Gorn. <laughs> Just one episode of Angel where it's just sitting at the bar, mourn, no yep. changes at all. Nope. He, for some reason, he can't play karaoke. Like, well, some kind of joke makes it so that he keeps wanting to do songs and he can't. Yep. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yep, that would be good. <laughs> uh, what was your bad thing? Um, I'm getting real tired of attractive alien women playing with Quark's ears to get what they want. Like that shit happens all the time. In fairness, Quark a couple of times takes her hands off of him yeah. and says, don't, look, knock it off. That's not going to work on me right now. Later, yes. Right now, no. But, like, like it just, it, ha it feels like it happens all the time, and I'm so no, I'm, tired of it. I'm with you, and it is a very cheap thing that they still keep doing. But on the other hand, I don't think at any point he was going to do one thing and she convinced him to do a different thing because of the ear. No, that's the other great thing about this episode is that Quark is very in control of everything that's happening around him. He's not just like, he's not doing that, that Ferengi thing where he just like, ah, oh, whatever you say, bowing and doing that hand thing. Like, for all the plates that are spinning in this episode, he manages to sort of keep control of them pretty well. I would say that, but on the other hand, I was disappointed that he wasn't as clever as he could have been. At no point does the plot advance because he's one step ahead of everyone. That is true. People just You're right that he's not pleading and begging and, and, and you know, all that. Like, that's good. Mm -hmm. But at, I feel like Quark now should be smart enough that he's actually thinking a bit ahead of them and maybe lures them into an auto trap or something. Yeah, that would and... that would be nice. Although, yeah. at, at, at the end of the day, he's just like, look, let's just split the goddamn money. Yeah. I, I would like to get something out of this insane no, couple of days. No, exhausted Quark, like... Pointing a gun at someone and just having them go, ugh, again? Yeah. Like, that's that's funny. I just think it would have served Quark better if he was actually clever and their gun didn't work or he had a gun too or, you know. Yeah. Something like that. There's a there's a point in the episode where he just, at towards the end, where he just goes into his quarters and he's like, all right, who's in here now? And they're all hiding. Yep. Yeah. Like, we start with what's-her-face. Um, oh, God. Bikini woman. Uh-huh. Who's just in there and just pops out when he yells. He's like, yeah, I was here. 
Mm-hmm. And, then the- and then gradually everyone else tries to break in. Yep. So like, I, I didn't mention in my summary, there is a woman who at first claims to be Morn's ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And then the two alien brothers that you mentioned. And then another guy who looks like he belonged on, like, Babylon 5 or something. He looks exactly like one of the main characters on Babylon 5. Just, like, the uniform looks kind of generic. And he's actually good. Like, they're all pretty good. Oh, yeah. But, um, and he's the one who claims to be a cop and says, like, uh, Morn was a prince and he stole his fortune, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so that's, and, and yeah, they're all breaking into his quarters and trying to get this money that Morn may or may not have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. My bad thing, because, because like, okay, this isn't my favorite episode, but it did exactly what it set out to do, and I can't really fault yeah. it for that. There, I mm-hmm. actually had a hard time finding a bad thing, because it was, you know, it was successful. But Yeah, for what it where, is, it, it's executed really well. Yeah, it's not my favorite kind of episode, but no. for this kind of episode, it, does, it gets 10 out of 10 for doing exactly what it meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just prefer ones like the previous one that are more, you know... Like, more elaborate, more, like, psychological and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's a point where this dude, uh, the, the, the fake cop, is itching his face with his phaser. And it just reminded me of Plan 9 from Outer Space, where there's a cop itching his face with his, uh, with his revolver. Yeah. Not, not great. Not great. Very in character for that guy, though, I think. Yeah, because he's, you know. He's kind of a dope. They're all kind of dope. Yeah. I'm very surprised they managed to execute a uh, a heist so well. That's where the money came from, is Morn was the fifth guy in their gang who pulled off of a famous heist, and it was the uh, the statute of limitations was up. Mm-hmm. And so they have the money free and clear now. Yeah. And it turns out that he just ate it, stored it in his second stomach, mm-hmm. and gave them a, a, a box full of worthless gold. <laughs> My only thing with this episode is, and this kind of bugged me, like, the gold gets shipped from a bank. Yeah. Banks don't, like, I like. did they put did they put the gold, like, in a safe deposit box or something? Well, that's the thing. I, I saw your note about that. Banks, yeah, if you deposit money, then they just count how much money it is, and they won't necessarily give you that same exact currency yeah. back. But if you put something in a, in a safe, in a vault, whatever, then that specific thing is yours. Okay. So that's probably what. What they should have done with laundry. They should have bought a car wash. Yeah, of course. Or like a um, a fried chicken place. Yeah, that would be fine too. Yeah, laser tag. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 interesting. I like the whole uh, worthless gold thing. Yeah. Because we find out actually what platinum is finally. It's a it's a liquid that's suspended in gold. Right. Gold is just the medium that you carry it around with. Mm. But gold, this was one of Gene Roddenberry's points was like, if we're using the Ferengi as greedy guys, gold, we could just replicate gold. What What the hell? Yeah, it's like, not It's not interesting. Made it for a point like, there. it's not important anymore. Right. And so, latinum apparently is still really exotic and really rare. Well, it's on, it, they've said before, it's unreplicatable. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of, it looks like mercury in its, like in its pure form. Yeah. It's this like weird sort of silvery liquid. Yeah. And yeah, so Morn just swallowed it. This is the first time that uh, someone in Star Trek having an extra organ didn't feel like a cop out. No. Like Spock's inner eyelid, uh, Worf's second heart or whatever it was. Like he's got a second stomach because mm-hmm. he's a cow person, I guess. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he just swallowed all the latinum. Yep. And he just barfs it back up for, here, Quark, here's your share. Blah. 
and it gives them like a hundred bars worth, and it's maybe a tablespoon. That's the other thing. It's like how much latinum actually gets into a bar. Yeah, because those bars are like the size of I don't know, well, like a DVD case. Well, you compare the you compare them to a uh, a safe full of uh, Zelda cartridges. Well, because it looked like what uh, Zelda two, right? That was the gold. Uh, both both of them were gold. Zelda one uh, and okay. Zelda two. Okay. Then yeah, that's what it looked like to me. It was just like because the the design of them is sort of similar. Yep. They're about the same size and they're gold. But so yeah, he's got a case of a thousand Zeldas. So what? Yeah. I paid like twenty bucks for my copy. Like, not... I don't remember. <laughs> I never actually like my brother was into that. No. I never played it. It's a good. Um, it's a good game. If you say so, I do. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see what Latinum finally is, kind mm. of. And I guess, yeah, one bar holds, like, a drop. A dr- yeah. I don't know. I guess like that I'm... makes, like, it's like, so how, so a slip, does a slip contain the same amount of latinum as a bar? No, it can't. How does that make sense? If the, if, if, if the point of latinum is that it, the latinum itself is what's valuable and it's not just sort of arbitrarily assigned, mm-hmm. then you have to have more in something that's worth more, right? Yeah. Because it's slips, strips, bars, or no, slips, strips, yeah, slips, bars, and then strips, breaks. strips, bars, cars. Yes. The only thing bigger than a bar is an actual automobile made of gold. And then the man from Mars is eating bars, and then he's going to eat guitars. Yep. And here comes Lars and his beautiful jars. <laughs> Handsome Lars and his beautiful jars. <laughs> oh, there was also a great bit where um, uh, Quark's giving the eulogy, and he grabs somebody out of the the crowd and puts him in Morn's chair and is like, here, you're Morn now. <laughs> and turns out the person he pulled out of the crowd was the dude who puts on the Morn suit usually. That's pretty great. Which is a nice little inside yeah. thing. Here. Uh, never let his never let his seat grow cold. And th- that's actually my quote yeah. is uh there's a th- there's hardly any uh O'Brien or Bashir in either of these episodes, but there's a fun I love that these two are kind of the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the show. Like when there's other action oh, going yeah. on, they wander in for 30 seconds and comment on what's happening yep. and then just wander back out again. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those times. What are you up to? I'm trying to fix this optronic relay. Wouldn't you be better off working in a lab? I'm keeping Morn's chair warm. Ah, good man. I really enjoyed that. Well, they also do they they also do a really good uh, job of setting up Morn if like this is your first episode. Yeah. They do a great job of having him be, like, the fixture at Quark's, because, like, the first scene is basically uh, Quark's got the, the Morn hologram up. Because yeah, because he hasn't been there ten... in two or three weeks, and people are like, where's yeah. Morn? He needs to be here. Oh, well, here, this will comfort you. Yeah. I bought a so stuffed it... Morn. Oh, God, the only thing better than a hologram of him would be a stuffed Morn. That would be adorable. Yep. <laughs> but, no, you have a... a, a the chief and Julian Walker. I'm on. Yep. Just checking it, it in. Just, it makes them feel so much more at ease. Yep. I like that. I just, I, I, yeah. I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed this episode. But like I said in my summary, I don't think, like, we've probably talked about him on the show. I feel like we have. But he's oh, mostly sure a he's visual joke. Yeah. yeah. Like, none of our quotes have ever featured Morn, obviously. <laughs> and there's nothing really to talk about apart from, haha, there he is wearing a sombrero or whatever. So, you know, I don't he's always in the background with some weird like something. Yep, he's doing something or wearing a Hawaiian lei or like yep. uh sunglasses and a you know, 
a Hawaiian shirt or I don't know. There was that episode where the the old emissary came back and Morn was in the front row. Oh yeah, he was like captivated more than any of the Bajorans. He's like, were. oh wow, this guy. Yep. But I feel like we don't talk about him much because there's not much to say when it's largely visual. Yep. So like, yeah, the episode does a good job of establishing who he is because if you're not paying attention to the background, you might not know who he is. Yeah. And they only named him, I think, a couple of times. Yeah. That was like he had been like a background character for a while who they really liked the design of. No, which... and they called him Morn early on because after Norm from Cheers, yeah. like he's always the guy sitting in the bar, but there was no reason to say it on screen. So it was just sort of an inside joke behind the scenes. Oh, that's Morn. Yeah, and then he sort of turned into like the other Captain Baudet. Oh, yeah, right. Whereas just and if like they could afford to show Captain Baudet, they totally would. Transparent skulls are hard to. Uh... Well, back in, in 96, yeah, like now they could CG it. Yeah. But... Or just have a guy walking around with an x-ray all the time. Yes. This is my x-ray. Uh, I'm an albino. <laughs> uh, okay, what else we got? That's pretty much all I have. There's not a whole lot going on in this one. No, like it's fun and it never I never feel bored or anything. No, it's just but a it very... Always... It, it's small. It's a small episode. And I like that. I feel like if they had gone with this right after the war stuff instead of the... The dumb Ferengi episode, I would have liked that a lot better. Mm. That's that's how I feel. I don't know. Quark treats the uh, ship or the station's computer like I treat Mal's Xbox. Oh, it's like computer, could you please do the thing for me? Thank you, computer. You've been most helpful. Wait, do you talk to your wife's Xbox like that? Yeah, she's got one of those ones that like it can like it it listens. Oh, it's got the connect. It's got the connect like... thing where it listens to you. And yeah. I will go, uh, Xbox, could you please put this on from uh, YouTube, please? Thank you, Xbox. <laughs> it drives her up the wall because, like, it doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> at all. Well, then, okay. I was wondering where you were going with mm -hmm. that. Like, that, that would be funny once. But if it bugs her, then, okay, that makes sense. Oh, it drives her crazy. It's wonderful. Ah, very well, then. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I, ha all I have. How about you? Yeah, me too. Very well. Next week, one of the best episodes ever. I know we say that a lot, but the show has a lot of good episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, Far Beyond the Stars is next week. Oh. Uh, our friend Brian will be joining us for that. Nice. Um, the following week, we will be at the Emerald City Comic Con. Yes, we will. In Seattle. If you were there, you should come see us. We are at table FF03. Yep. Uh, we have a panel there on Friday for our other podcast, our sketch comedy podcast, uh, Sarcastic Voyage. That's Friday at 4.30 yep. in Hall D. Uh, but uh, we will also be there doing uh, post-atomic horror stuff, so come check us out. Come look at our new banner. It's fucking amazing. Yes, it is. Thanks to Vishal for that. Yeah. And that's it. All right. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2015. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.